Hot round! Red 7, Red 7, Red 7! Don! What? Red 7! I don't know what Red 7 means. Hot round! I don't. What is hot round? Will you just go stand on the other side, please? Billy Bob! This is it! The man who got us here. You ready? You don't think that lame-ass play where I run down the field and act like I'm lost is gonna work, do you? Then he pivots, fakes, chucks the big bomb halfway down the field to our hopefully still wide-open tailback. I call it the annexation of Puerto Rico. Booyah! That's what we call a sack lunch! Nom, 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 nom. I need that ball. Get me the ball. You need the ball. Get me the ball. Get me the ball. Are you gonna get me the oh, ball? Oh, I'm getting the ball! Get me the ball! I hope he doesn't kill somebody. Welcome back to another exciting edition of 11 Personnel. Nick Roush here with Adam Luckett. And I got to tell you, folks, even though I took an L last week, I'm bounced back. And I don't think I've ever been happier to record a, a football podcast, Adam Luckett. We've even got a guest this week, Mr. Roush. Yeah, we do got guests. We got SEC Mike. Uh, that's what you know him as on Twitter. He, he comes across, maybe if you haven't heard him or, or listened to any of his rationale, as a, as a hot take king, but he's really not. He seems like the most kind of level-headed dude out there. He just, the the way he follows things, uh, I, I appreciate his insights, and I, and I think you all will as well once you, you hear our discussion on the kind of uh, the, the play callers in the SEC, both offensive and defensive. Yes, we definitely get into the weeds a little bit, but there's – there's some takes in there that you're that it's gonna catch a few people by surprise. I mean, folks, he's saying that Nick Saban's never won in the SEC again. <laughs> so, like, if that doesn't hook you, then nothing will. Right. Um, That's yeah, about as bold so, as you can get in this league. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, um, but the the biggest news that we have to discuss is not my loss in listicuffs, which, by the way, look it. Uh, I checked my box of shredded wheat downstairs. Says shredded wheat. It's just generic. Okay, I'm not buying post mini wheats. Okay, I'm not getting this bull crapping i'm not spending the extra two dollars for the same product i'm buying the generics and getting those fuel points spoken like a true south ender oh it really is it really is i can't help myself but if y'all didn't watch that list of cuffs it was a lot of fun and i, I do think it's kind of wild that how difficult it is to name the top touchdown <laughs> catchers of the mark stoops era yeah <laughs> that was, yeah <laughs> <laughs> We get we can get it. We'll get into receivers a little later, but right, right. But my goodness, that just shows you the passing game, and yeah. shows you why they're recruiting receivers hard, even after pulling in what they pull four or five in the class of twenty twenty. Now you look at class of twenty one; mm-hmm. they got three on the board already. They're three highest rated recruits, and they're not stopping recruiting receivers. And you know what? I, some of them you throw it all up against the wall. Something's got to stick eventually. So, mm-hmm. but we'll we'll get to some recruiting later on. But we need to start with first things first. The best news in the history of news. Kentucky is not playing on Derby Day. We did it, like it. How big, how big was your sigh of relief when that news broke? I it it happened in the middle of the day, and it you know my typical like I need a coffee or you know some kind of something to snap out of it, maybe a little power nap with the baby, and. I was, I was like dancing and dabbing just all over the living room. I had a baby in my hand and I almost dropped him. I, I don't, I can't tell you it's, it's the happiest I've been for an entire quarantine. And for all those people out there who want to say, 
oh, well, they're moving it, but they're still not going to let fans in. You all can all shut the hell up. Go be sad somewhere else. Do not take my joy. This is the chance for us to have a five-day weekend of awesome, starting with football and then Oaks and then football and Derby and then more football and then more football. Don't you try to steal my joy. That is – don't. Don't even think about it because you know what? Here's the thing, Lucky. Pull on old Calipari. Can't, can't steal my joy. You know what's really sucked about this coronavirus thing is we've had nothing to look forward to. Like – how many times are you sitting in your cube bucket and you're like, oh, man, Saturday I'm going to be able to, to get out on the golf course and, and have some cold Bud Lights? And it's it gets you through the week. We haven't had any of that. There's not even something like off in the distance to be like, well, at least we've got this coming up next month. At least there's a, the big party or the bachelor. No, we haven't had diddly squat. And now we have a tentative – five-day spectacular. It could even be a six-day because there's rumors that Louisville's going to move up their game with NC State to that Wednesday. And oh, frankly, really? oh, yeah, that's that's the – the you, you've been in uh, J-Town too much. you got to get closer to the heart of the city of Louisville because that's the big rumor going around is they're going to move – You got your ear to Einstein over there. Oh, I really do. And, I, look, I'm just so happy because there was nothing that I wanted less than to have Kentucky dropping a 50-burger on the Emus uh, in the middle of a packed college football schedule on Kentucky Derby Saturday. I'm happy for you. I would not have wanted you to go through that. <laughs> I know I've, it would have been a personal hell for you, Mr. Roush. I know that. Yes. It would have been similar to me sitting in a cubicle during the Belk Bowl wanting to pull my hair out. Yeah. I just – now that it's over, now you don't have to worry about it, I want you to walk through what would have happened if it's – 3.30 kickoff, Kentucky's playing Eastern Michigan while, while the derby is going on in the press box. Just walk uh, me through. So when they announced when the derby was getting moved to, Labor Day weekend, I immediately started formulating my plan to talk my way out of going to the Kentucky football game. Because, folks, like, I love y'all. But, like, here's the thing about this Eastern Michigan game. We're going we're gonna to talk it to death once it gets closer. But, like, when Freddie first – came back into the fold at KSR, one of the first things he wrote is just how Kentucky is going to just dog walk Eastern Michigan because they're going to suck. They're going to be one of the worst teams in FBS this year. They were good last year. They lost their quarterback. They lost everybody. Uh, they, they were a bowl team, and they lost absolutely everyone. They're going to be a terrible team. And to think of a scenario where, I, I mean, yes, I love Kentucky football, but you know what? Like one of those blowouts every once in a while, you know, it'd be fine to watch from afar. And I, I was kind of planning and hoping to be like, man, hey, look it, don't you really want to go to this Kentucky Eastern Michigan game and sit in the press box? I was, I was going to put a hard sell on getting anybody and everybody to want to go to that game and said, because, and, and, and folks, I know a lot of you out there are like, who would pick horses, stupid horses? It's just a stupid horse, right? Like, I, I, I'm trying not to to exaggerate the significance of it, but like it really is kind of my family reunion every year. Where it's your Super Bowl? Yeah, it is. It's my Super Bowl, and the fact that it would be held like it's this is never going to happen again. A Labor Day Derby. It's just unlike any other. And the significance of that versus another game versus Eastern Michigan. It'll be the third time I've seen Kentucky beat Eastern Michigan in four years. Like, yeah. So what? 
you know, it, it's going to be great to a certain extent. So, it, in, in here's the reason why I think that it's important. I, I do feel for some of the fans, you know, you'll get one every once in a while who's like, well, hell, if it's on Thursday, I can't drive three hours out of the way for it. But you know what? For the people who do have to travel across the state, it does stink, but it makes it more of an event because it's a Thursday night game. Look it. Do you know how many times Kentucky's played on Thursday night since 1990? Let's see. I can think of a few off the top of my head. WKU in Nashville. Oh. Auburn. Woof. At home. Yes, that is the most at, recent one, 2015. At South Carolina in 07. Brutal loss. I know Jared, when they had Lorenz, and I think they played a couple times. So, they maybe did. One, at South Carolina, once at Mississippi State. And there was another time in like 98 or 99 they played at Mississippi State on a Thursday in loss. Man. They were winning the whole game. I'm I you know what, Luckett? I gotta give you credit for pulling some of these out of your hat because the nineteen ninety-nine game, I have no recollection of at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mississippi State team was ranked and Kentucky had them beat the whole game. They were seven and oh. And uh, of course, uh, Mississippi State has ninety seconds and they need to go eighty yards and just right through that hell moment. It's because Starkville is a house of horrors. Yeah, it really is. They kick a 45-yarder with 20 seconds left to beat UK by one. Uh, just yeah, abs- absolutely brutal. But they've played eight times, and this was just the kind of modern era, quote-unquote, that UK released. And it's because I don't think – like thir- college football was for Saturdays so-, so people could attend. They really didn't start turning into this TV event until the 90s. They've played eight times. They've only won – yeah, I was going to say they haven't won many. Twice? I think twice. So I, You've got the 2011 game against Western Kentucky where Kentucky <laughs> – oh, it, it, it's – One of the most the, awful games I've ever watched. It might be the worst football game ever played. And I, I know when we, we recorded with uh, SEC Mike earlier and he joked about Chad Morris being maybe the worst SEC coach ever. Dude, that year with Joker Phillips, man, they had 190 yards of total offense. Yeah. And Morgan Newton threw three picks in that game. If the Western Kentucky quarterback doesn't throw four interceptions, they were three of 13 on third downs. That game had the – they supposed to be SEC meme that we saw for about three or four years. That's where that came from. No. Did that come from that game? Mm -hmm. I thought it came from the actual loss. No, the following it, came, year. it was before that. That was that year. Oh God! Because every that was like only a couple games on. Everybody was watching that game, and then Morgan Newton. There's the gift still out there of him backpedaling and falling down in his oh, drop, yeah. and then both offenses averaged like 3.2 yards per play, and there was like seven total turnovers. It was <laughs> yeah, seven one, total turnovers. I think there's 20 games you could ever 20 watch. total first downs. Um, I mean, just an abomination, disgrace to the sport of football. And that was the last time Kentucky won. I just can't imagine, like, going to make a weekend out of it in Nashville, going down there for that Thursday night. <laughs> I, almost, you get, I almost went. That I mean, just what a pile of poop that mm-hmm. game was. And, and like, you, you see a trend here. Uh, the Mississippi State game in 2013 with Stoops where Kentucky recovers the onside kick. The one I forgot about. Oh, yeah. man. And Dan Mullen er, – like, like Stoops played it to a T. I mean, he's got Jalen Whitlow at quarterback, and they timed this onside perfectly. And it has all the momentum. And I thought Stoops was going to punch a referee because they called offsides. And that was just a total, you know, start roll, house of horrors kind of mess. Uh, that, that 2015 Auburn game, I remember there being a 
there was a last drive where Kentucky had a chance, and I don't think there was a drop, but like maybe Patrick Tolls threw a ball behind Juice, and that was just the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that that one had a few mistakes in it by the team, but yeah. the, the atmosphere leading up to that game. Man. That's up there of like fun tail one of the fun tailgates was that well was and that and that was day. a big event. I don't think Auburn was ranked at the time, but they were still mm-hmm. Auburn. Yeah, and that game we did the pregame show all day. So mm-hmm. right after Matt and him went off, I hopped on the radio. It was a long day in the studio, like it, but it's certainly one I won't forget. And it, it doesn't leave you with that kind of stinging feeling like the game against South Carolina dude the cats were ranked eighth it's the highest they've ever been ranked in our lifetime if I'm correct Mm -hmm. down in South Carolina two defensive touchdowns by freaking Eric Norwood Kentucky lost to a quarterback named Smelly like come on hey yeah and South Carolina was ranked at the time that was a big game number eight versus number 11 college football live was just getting started so that was like a daily show they had, and that's what they were like. They, they were hyping that game up all week. And then, freaking five turnovers. Team that's taking care of the ball all year long, just going to go turn the ball over five times. Yeah, better team lost that day, for sure. Yeah, I and I was, uh, I re- I remember that game very specifically because I was playing freshman high school football, and we be we were beating the crap out of a team, and just couldn't, you know. Couldn't get home in time to watch all of the – missed the beginning, and the wheels were already starting to fall off with all these damn turnovers. Driving me nuts. Absolutely nuts. But enough of that. Like it, last week we, we, we welcomed college football to year 2020, and I'm just disappointed that we didn't predict Mike Gundy would, would have a, a rude welcoming to it. Uh, who would have guessed the head coach with the mullet would be the one <laughs> caught up in this? I do think – so. It, it really was a quick kind of news cycle, kind of frenzy. Yeah, that's becoming a thing. Yeah, and and I don't – the thing is, is because in that moment, like, let's just start with this. The, the, the kind of overwhelming reaction wasn't just because he wore a shirt. Like, if it was a T-shirt, then if that, if that was all it was, then that, that, this was real stupid. I don't think that we were raising a big mess just because he liked a, a fake news outlet. Um, but I think when you dug deeper and other people started reaching out, they're like, man, this this culture is just weird. We got to do something. And you, you see college football players using their voice to try to, to balance the kind of uh, the levels of power. But – I mean, hell, like it, it was three hours later and people were kind of waited on bated breath. You know, how is Mike Gundy going to react to these kind of – they weren't accusations directly well, calling out players. The or, president and AD made statements that seemed like this could get this could pretty get bad. newsworthy fast. Yeah. Yeah, and it ended with them having a really just awkward video uh, where Gundy like kind of says, I didn't – he did kind of a sorry, not sorry, and then Hubbard mm-hmm. apologized, which I thought three was times weird. he said sorry three times, which yeah. is weird. Like, what do you do? Why are you the one apologizing more? Maybe it's because of the the amount of crap he took from fans. Yeah, um, I would assume. Well, I would assume that had something to do with it. I'd assume, you know, he he disobeyed kind of the chain of the unspoken chain of command, like calling your coach out on Twitter. I'm sure that's not something. 
Oh, that's something Gundy hates. <laughs> well, I'm sure that's something, you know, he appreciated. So I'm sure they had a conversation about, like, you know, if you have an issue, we can talk it out. We don't have to do it over social media. But Gundy, in April, when coronavirus was going on, he talked about, like, how the players need to come back. And he said that that's the news station he listens to. Yeah. OAN, like they're, they're the ones who no, – no bias at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, well, which is, you know, far right, pro-Trump. And then yeah, they had – and I'm not sure what. There was something – they disagreed with the Black Lives move, Matters movement or – They called them – uh, They called them a terroristic organization. And then they said that the guy who broke his skull when he got pushed down, they said he was Antifa that was scanning phones to try to, to disrupt police ah. communications. Yeah, just they're, – they're out there. They're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So, like – I get it that, like, I would be pretty pissed off, too, if I was playing for him. Like, dude, really? Can you not just, like, tone it down a little bit much? Mm -hmm. And that's part – that's kind of who Gundy is. Like, he's rough around the edges. Mm -hmm. He pushes a lot of buttons. This is the same coach that has had umpteen offers. He goes and interviews at all these places just to come back to Oklahoma State every time. Just to play the game so he can get more money. Mm -hmm. He can get more T. Boone's money. The, the thing about it all, look at that, like, A, it's kind of frustrating and exhausting that you have to, like, tow political lines on here. But I think at the at the heart of this is uh, you, you saw with Iowa's strength coach having, having to resign. And to, to put it bluntly, I think we've reached a point where you can't really be an asshole anymore and not have people come at you with it. And, you know, what goes around comes around. And I think in Gundy's case, he, I, he, he really represents an old school kind of mentality. And a lot of folks gravitate to that. And they'll end up tying it to being conservative and politics and all this kind of crap. But really, he's just your old school hard ass football coach. And we're seeing a new era where now players, they're having more uh, intimate personal relationships with their coaches, where it's more of like the professional level, where you're kind of seeing more eye to eye and it's less of coach looking down on the player. And even though it kind of manifested in a stupid T-shirt on a fishing trip that he probably was just, you know, going to get fish guts on or whatever, that's the kind of – I think that just reflects where we're kind of trending towards. And I think I think Mike Gundy might be – even though he is this old-school hard-ass, I think he might be dynamic enough to change because at his core – he he's going to be there for his players because what we know Mike Gunny for best is for standing up for his guy saying, I'm a man, I'm 40, you come at me, you know? So I'm at least confident that uh, his heart is going to be in the right place. And ultimately uh, level heads will prevail and good things will come from this. It seemed that PR team there in Stillwater kind of met again and decided that they need to get out and have him apologize, which he did today. It was a right, he was a, Statement that was read off a cue card. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he kind of owned the situation and admitted fault and said he was sorry. I just. So, and, and that seems to have gotten some public comments from from his players. But I think like, okay, one cool. thing I'm interested in is we're seeing is there's a lot of people on a college football team. And when some of these coaches have spoken out, we're seeing people on social media kind of hammer them. Mm-hmm. 
even the kid at Louisville said, you know, Petrino was a racist. <laughs> that MF hated everybody. <laughs> so, I mean, we're seeing, you know, a yeah. lot of people speak out on that. And then in this vacuum, we have social media wise, people react instantly to that. Yeah. And so you get a kind of a, 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 a new storm that we start talking about, is this guy going to get fired? And then the PR people do their job, take over and try to calm down the storm. So it's really interesting times I think we're living in. But I think the bigger point in this issue is that coaches, you know, they have to be adaptable. You can't, you can't really, I don't know. I'm not saying you shouldn't speak on your political beliefs or whatnot, but you just got to be careful about what you say and what you do. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the, the players that you're, that you're working with are f- from a totally different economic background, right. uh, most of them. You know, and the, and he's making $5 million dollars a year, and, but he's recruiting kids that maybe are, you know, living off food stamps for stuff right. growing up. So, And especially the recruiting aspect of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think the, the part that made it noteworthy is that it wasn't just a random guy. It was Chuba Hubbard. That's the only that's the only guy who could do it. I mean, it's got to be the stars. Like, yeah. it was Chuba Hubbard at, at Oklahoma State. Uh, Marvin Wilson's going to be an All American at Florida State. Those are the mm-hmm. guys that have to. That's about, that's who people are going to listen to. It has to be the stars. And what's even crazier too, like it is that like if, I mean, this could be Mike Gunny's best season at Oklahoma State. And if it would have gotten derailed mm-hmm. <laughs> just by like well, an OAN they, t-shirt, that would have been the most ridiculous downfall since mm-hmm. uh, Mike Price roll tide roll. Do you remember last year when a Houston offensive lineman wrote like a 20 Twitter thread, page Twitter thread, yeah, which was the, bashing Hogerson and the new staff? For basically like – People like, read it and paid a lot of attention to it, but it was a guy that, you know, barely played. So it wasn't like a big deal. He was now the guy I think who, you're seeing – he like came back for one final year as like a red shirt senior type, like a six year eligibility type thing or something. And he had blown out both knees. And he was basically like, So we're just going to tank this entire year. This was my one shot, and you're going to be a jerk about it. But you're right. <laughs> we kind of just forgot about it. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what the last, the lasting power this is. But it started at EA. This is the player empowerment era mm-hmm. that we're living in. The players have more power than they've ever had, and a big reason why is they have a voice thanks to a social media following. Yeah. And so this is only going to get magnified uh, by name, image, likeness when that yeah. when that rolls in here. Which so the coaches, the... this is a different different storm. Uh, they have to kind of weave their way and figure out how to control it, I guess, or work, live through it. And how to how that ties into everything is something that a lot of people are going to have to figure out on the fly. Which you brought up name, image, likeness, and I kind of want to segue this into recruiting because when Florida signed their name, image, likeness bill into effect, that uh, the legislation will take a uh, will begin uh, in July of 2021, two years quicker than the bills that were passed in California and in Colorado. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis immediately just started recruiting kids to go to their schools. And within, I don't know, 30 minutes, Florida was sending out photoshops of kids on the front of GQ magazine. So the big three is back. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. they wasted no time. Absolutely no time getting into it. What we're going to see quickly in all this, Nick, 
is that the same schools that have been recruiting well for 20, 30 years, getting the players, that'll be the same schools getting them, even with name image likeness. Now there will be money opportunities. There may, it may be a deciding factor in some recruitments, but overall I don't think the recruiting rankings on a year to year basis are going to change very much. Right. Right. Uh, which I, I want to ask you about, I just, so if y'all aren't following along, look, it's doing a, a weekly recruiting roundup. Um, and I, I enjoy, I, first off, thanks for doing that because recruiting can be exhaustive and I, I'm glad you've got your eye on things. I do as well. So people out there who think I'm just, there's one guy who listens to my radio show who just loves to just say, I steal everything from rolling at Kent's illustrated. And, sometimes it'll just like hit a nerve and I'm like, dude, I'm not sit there scrolling through uh house of blue. Like, come on, come the hell on. Um, but it recruiting's exhausting. And the thing that I like what you've done, like it is you aren't just like, here's a top, a bunch of top 10 lists, but here's a little bit of that along with some interesting nuggets. And the one term I never heard before is blue chip ratio. Can you, can you explain that to our listeners? Pretty much Bud Elliott. who's at 24 seven sports now formerly Banner Society slash SB Nation, um, comes up with this baseline of blue chip ratio, which is over 50% of your roster as was a four or five star um, when they signed coming out of high school with your school. So have the percent of your roster that was a big, you know, a top 300 recruit pretty much coming out. And this has been a predictive way to figure out who is or who are the legit championship contenders. Like, the national champion should come from this list. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a year like Auburn, I think they missed out in 2010. I don't think they had the requisite, but they had a superstar in Cam right. Newton. Cam Newton made up and for a lot of those. It's not saying what well, you need to make a playoff, but to win the national championship, you have to have over this. And so when you look at it this year, there's three schools really kind of separating themselves from everybody else, all 80-plus percent. It's Ohio State. It's Alabama. And it's Georgia. Hmm. Not Clemson. And then Clemson is down there. I believe they're fourth or fifth at 63% or so. Mm-hmm. But Clemson, like next year, they'll probably be up to 80 or pretty damn close. Like their yeah. recruiting has taken a big jump. What Clemson did for so long was nobody ever transferred from there. Mm-hmm. So they, they, so their classes just stay the same. So they were only bringing in 17, 18 guys, a lot of, a lot of classes. But now, you're going to see them take a jump here because jump here for because the last couple of years they've been right up there with everybody else. The the reason why I really uh, a I, I'm mad I hadn't heard of it before, but the reason why I liked it like it is people like to say these recruiting rankings don't know anything when you can point out your Benny Snells and Josh Allen's. Those mm-hmm. are good examples of people that they miss. But when you look at it from ten thousand feet, the the recruiting rankings do a good job of kind of getting the larger groups together. So, like, overall percentages, five-star recruits are guys who they say they're going to be NFL talents. They hit – Well, five-star recruits per their ranking should be like – these should be first-round draft picks when they come out of college. Yes. They only give out, what, third, I think it's 30 they give out a year? Pretty much, yeah. Those should be that. draft picks. The rest of the four-stars – or those should be first-round picks. The rest of the four-stars should, like you just said, they should be NFL draft picks. Yes. Like those guys, they should be NFL players. And three-star, it's like he could end up being a starter in college. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's right. He could be a starter in college, a borderline NFL player. 
Yes, just depending on kind of what he does to put in work. And when you look at their five-star hit rate, their percentages are great. And really the only reason why their four-star rates are so low is because they they tend to – the quarterback position so weird. So you, you yeah, tend to get a lot more benefit of the doubt early on. And I wanted to say that, like, there was a fun name that came up in one of those uh, Barton Simmons articles, Gunnar Keel. Remember Gunnar Keel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude was, like, number one quarterback playing for – uh, some school in Indiana, which very small school, but they're in the kind of Louisville TV viewing area. So they would like cover his games and he would get articles in the CJ. And you're like, there's, how is this guy the five-star guy in America? But it was just because he was big, had a big arm, never did anything, went to Notre Dame. And I think, I guess he had, he was. Well, uh, he, went, he went to LSU. He went to LSU for like a week. <laughs> then transferred to Notre Dame, was there for like a year, then transferred to Cincinnati. Oh, man. Gunner Keel. Someone needs to do oral history on that. Oh, man. That's a wild guy. But it, I, I'm glad that you calculated Kentucky's blue chip ratio because you know, I think you had it at like 21% or something right, like that. Right, just over 21%. And then if you incorporate That's not including. Right. That'll yeah. probably get to closer to 25. Yeah, you're right at 25 if you throw in Kelvin Joseph, Xavier Peters, and who's the other? Joey Gatewood. Yes. Um, so – Right in the mix, and I, I think when you you take a step back, that, that feels right around where Kentucky's supposed to be as far as, hey, okay, they're they're getting some really good guys at the top of their class, but they're having to develop them. And mm-hmm. it also shows that I bet it was probably, what, like 8% not that long ago. So they're making strides when it comes to this. And I, it, I think it also helps that they're drawing from a more talented base, in not only in the state of Kentucky or – in, in Ohio, but in the state of Kentucky, because man, TCU, what the, they, they just decided yeah, I know. they're going to start offering Kentucky players. They offered Travion Longmire today from Corbin. Um, and then I had another, I had somebody slide in my DMs and say that that Corbin's quarterback was some service ranked him right up there with Arch Manning. I don't know if I trust that recruiting service because they don't rank kids that young. So, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Arch Manning's like an eighth guy. I think he's going to be a freshman or sophomore this year. So, yes, I didn't, I didn't really trust it. But n- nevertheless, I think the point being, Kentucky has some talent to draw from. Vince Merrill's keeping it in state, and that's paying dividends. Yeah, it certainly helps when you can get players from your state. And now we're seeing with the state of Kentucky, they were, they're producing more um, than they, than they used to just. To put it bluntly, more the in more the kind of Kentucky's level of guys that you feel like can play. Well, and at, they're and, also at, like it certainly helps that in this class, one of the top two guys in Kentucky is what they need, and that's a game changer at wide receiver. Well, yeah, that does that certainly doesn't hurt for sure. <laughs> certainly doesn't hurt either that school right down the road is producing you know multiple blue chippers in a two year span. When you look at Walker Parks, Jagger oh, Burton, yeah, yeah. Deco Crowdis. Well, you did the the school down the road. I'm thinking Louisville. What? Oh no no no! <laughs> the high school, the high school. My fault. Oh man, look at I, I don't know about you. Um, oh man, I'm, I'm hearing my baby making some weird noises downstairs. Dude, he's it's like he's calling a cadence, making. <laughs> He's audible. Yeah, he's audible. Is it about time for us to audible over to SEC, Mike? I think so. All right, folks. I, I'm not going to lie. This is one – we haven't been a, a big guest podcast, but I think SEC Mike was a good guest to get on because 
it, it really gives you kind of a lay of the land perspective of where the SEC kind of stands. Uh, and, and from his viewpoint, he's a guy who just purely covers the league. So we're, we're getting his perspective on uh, – like he, he's not playing favorites out there. And you're going to like what he has to say about Kentucky for the most part. Like it, you'll, ne- you'll never believe this, but Kentucky needs to improve their, their passing game. Mike's a smart man. (laughs) All right. Well, without wasting any more time, uh, we're going to get on over to SEC Mike. You can find him at Michael W. Bratton on Twitter. He's the host of that SEC podcast. Let's let's quit wasting time. We are now happy to be joined by the world-famous SEC Mike. You know him on Twitter as SEC Mike. You also know him as Michael Bratton, a news editor for Saturday Down South, who also hosts – that sec podcast michael is, is it I, are you more of a mike or a michael uh either one's fine sec mike is kind of what i go by so mike's fine but you call me world famous i think i'm more world hated based on uh, a lot of my twitter interactions here with uh, my lovely followers well sec mike it's uh we've been on your podcast before so we're happy that you're now joining us especially uh now that you have become I, really what it is is this is a time where everybody's desperate to talk sports and you've created rankings for a few different sec topics one that made a lot of kentucky football fans mad is where terry wilson fell in the sec quarterbacks pecking order and the the most recent uh ranking that's really uh, struck a chord with sec football fans is your rankings of sec coordinators which if, if there's anything I know about Adam Luckett, it's that nerding out on and comparing uh, offensive and defensive play callers. This is right up our alley. And this I, is my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought we'd bring you on, uh, SCC Mike, to talk about your rankings, embrace a little debate. But first and foremost, you, you said you got some people fired up. Who, who was the angriest fan base uh, at your, your, your rankings? Uh, pretty much anyone below uh, number two. So we're we're talking about, you know, 12 SEC programs here, pretty fired up at me for their rankings. I mean, of course, I got them all dead wrong, according to everybody. But mm-hmm. uh, this is just my honest opinion. A lot of times I have opinions that are much different than other people. And it seems like that's always kind of worked for me. But I'm really not trying to go outside the box just to do it because I feel like if that's who you are, you know, you're kind of like, uh, skip bayless type guy who once right, people right. start catching on to that act i mean you're just kind of a joke but i've always kind of had different opinions and i share them and i think when you throw them out there you got you also got to welcome people you know calling you a moron and an idiot and all that mm-hmm. and i'm fine to do that too and i, I really got it uh, a couple years ago at uh, sec media days i picked kentucky to finish higher than florida i had oh. even a, a number of florida players calling me out on Twitter. And of course that was the 2018 season when Kentucky did just that. So hey, <laughs> gotta, if you believe it, you got to put it out there. And if you don't, I, I certainly am. I'm not someone that's just trying to get attention. Well, like you said, it worked in 2018 and I like where you've got, before I call you a moron, really like where you've got Eddie Grand <laughs> right there at number four. Now I, I think I might take a little bit issue with Brad White and you know what? being completely honest if i was making my list i'd probably move grant up 
you know, I'd probably move each in the other direction, maybe one or two spots. I'm just curious, why why are you such a big fan of of what Eddie Grand's done so far at uh, UCAT? Well, he's a really good example of a guy that, uh, you know, you don't judge him on. I've seen a lot of these SEC fans, once they have a coach and maybe they don't perform, I mean, that guy's terrible. He's garbage. Get him off the list. See a lot of that with uh, Florida, or excuse me, Georgia fans when it comes to Todd Grantham. And when Eddie Grant was at Tennessee, not really too impressed with what he's done uh, during his short time there on Rocky Top. But at Kentucky, it's a completely different story because I think, uh, particularly in here in recent seasons, Kentucky has either been very one-dimensional due to a number of factors, but particularly last year, of course, due to the injuries at the quarterback position. Yet, you know, the way I look at Eddie Grant and Kentucky's offense, the more people I talk to in and around college football – I mean, they're studying how this guy is managing to get such prolific rushing numbers when, A, everybody knows what you're going to do, and, B, you're in the nation's toughest conference with some of the best defensive minds, the best defensive players, yet Kentucky just keeps churning out productive offenses, even if they're somewhat one-dimensional. So someone like Jimbo Fisher, I got a lot of flack for putting Jimbo Fisher behind Eddie Grand. I got a ton of respect for what Jimbo Fisher did you know, four or five years ago, six years ago at Florida State, but this is more of a ranking for 2020. And based on what Kentucky's offense was the last two years, I think uh, I've got a ton of respect for Eddie Grant, a lot more than anyone outside of uh, the state of Kentucky. And I know Kentucky fans will appreciate hearing that because it's something that, you know, uh, I will freely admit I'm an Eddie Green defender and I typically take that route. So I'm happy to see it from an an outside perspective. Like when you were trying to to put on your uh, like objective goggles and and look at Kentucky uh, relative to the rest of the conference. Where did you have uh, Brad White and Eddie Grant falling in your pecking order? Kind of like you said, Nick. I had Grant a couple spots lower. I believe I had White one spot higher. Going to back to what Mike said, it seems like in these rankings, what's really um, stands out is guys that have been in this league for a while have held these coordinator positions. You see Dan Mullen's been doing it for a long time, calling plays in the SEC. You see Jim Chaney up there. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been doing it a long time. And I think um, – and, Mike, you, okay. you can comment on this. I think a testament to Eddie – part of what Eddie Green's done is that it's he's consistently done it, where he's consistently put respectable offenses on the field and then uh, cherry on top was just what they were able to accomplish last year with that ground game and with no uh, forward pass option pretty much running – a version of a a spread type option yeah Eddie Grant he'd be a hell of a tight end coach for Georgia wouldn't he (laughs) yeah yes he would Mike Griffin's still mad that uh anytime I say that so yeah I mean it's kind of ridiculous uh anyone that has not got Eddie Grant on their list of up-and-coming coaches and like I said I just think around the nation people are going to be studying what this guy's doing with the run game because uh, it's just impressive stuff when you you know this is the classic you know just keep running what you're running if it's working. It's working at Kentucky. It's, it's worked tremendously the last couple of years on the ground game. And uh, if they get uh, the passing game going, I mean, Kentucky could once again be, you know, one of the surprises of the STC next year. Now, I think just in general, and like you kind of alluded to it, there's a lot of familiar names out there. Uh, and, and for folks who are listening, we'll have this these graphics attached to our podcast so you can see all of sec mike's rankings you can also find them on twitter at that sec podcast and uh at sec mike or excuse me at michael w bratton 
I believe is actually the Twitter handle, but mm -hmm. the, uh, the, there's a lot of familiar names. There's a lot of familiar names in here. And I'm just curious is, is how do we, Mike, how do you, how do you weigh the, the guys who have been head coaches who are now coordinators or, or vice versa, uh, the guys who have kind of been passed around, how do we try to, to evaluate and project what they will be? Because, uh, you know, in one instance, you're, you're pretty bullish on what Barry Odom can do with Arkansas's defense. But on the other hand, the guy who was just at Arkansas, uh, you have Chad Morris as one of the worst uh, OCs in the SEC at, at number 12 for the Auburn Tigers. Yeah, that's a tough one, I got to admit. You know, you're doing some projecting and, and a little bit of guesswork here. But Chad Morris, I mean, my goodness, I've many Arkansas fans mad I got him at number 12. That's too high. You know, I mean, he, <laughs> he legitimately might be the worst SEC head coach of all time based on just a, just a year and a half of what we saw on the field. I mean, it was just god-awful. But on the flip side, Barry Odom, very impressed with, uh, obviously, his defenses before he came to Missouri. And then I think, he, you know, he – he took over a situation that a lot of people maybe don't realize how tough of a position that was. Um, and then just, I think Derek Dooley really, you know, derailed his momentum there. And you, you got to put that on Barry Odom because he hired Derek Dooley to do that. And I thought that was a huge gamble, but you know, it worked with uh, Drew Locke obviously didn't work last year. I mean, that offense was atrocious. I don't think the defense was the problem. So that was also, you know, that was kind of difficult because, uh, a couple of these SEC defensive coordinators, well, I tried to I, – this list is specific to the, the guy – the coordinators calling the plays. So you do got, you know, a Dan Mullen, he calls the plays. Jimbo Fisher, he calls the plays. On the defensive side of the ball, we all know these head coaches have their hands all over it, but I tried to really focus it on the guys that are calling the plays, the majority of the plays on Saturday. And at Missouri, it was – uh, Walters calling the plays, but how how instrumental was Odom in that defense? So, that, I mean, that was kind of a difficult thing to, to kind of parse through making this list because mm -hmm. Mark Stoops, obviously, he's got a heavy hand in the defense. Same thing, Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, uh, Will Muschamp, South Carolina. So that's kind of why I really had – I know you guys are going to take issue with uh, White at number 10, but in my opinion, 7, 8, 9, 10, you know, I kind of grouped those guys in the, in the – similar position for a reason because they're all working with head coaches that were all defensive coordinators all have a heavy hand in that defense and I kind of weighed it more on experience more than anything else because Travaris Robinson he's been with Will Muschamp his entire tenure there at South Carolina he was there with him at Auburn he was there with him at Florida so that's kind of why I gave him the edge uh, Derek Ansley I thought Tennessee's defense was was really good last year at, particularly at the tail end of the year he's only got that one year experience similar to White, and then number eight, uh, Walter, he's got the two years experience. So that was really the deciding factor there. And I think it says a lot of uh, Walters that uh, Drinkowitz kept him on. And I think uh, Missouri, they potentially are poised to be the best first-year head coach program in the SEC, considering the fact that he, he kept so many guys on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, Mike, I think Ryan Walters is kind of a name not a lot of people know about. But he's he's kind of setting up to be a pretty big star, I think, um, and that 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 shows that with Drinkowitz keeping him on. But you mentioned defensive head coaches. Obviously, the biggest hire was made by a defensive head coach that was late in the process. Kirby Smart demoted James Coley and brought over Todd Munkin, and so now we're seeing this Jamie Newman push 
we're hearing about how he might be a Heisman contender and how Georgia's offense may be ready to make a jump, kind of like LSU's offense did. But me and you are kind of in the same mold. Like Todd Munkin has not been an offensive coordinator in college football since I believe 2011 and 2012. And that was working for Oklahoma State, a coach who's been in the news lately, but who has his fingerprints all over that offense. So the coordinators just kind of run through there, but it's no, there's no question it's Gundy's offense. Then he went to Southern Miss, then he went to the NFL. So, like, for, from you, I, I think we're kind of agreeing here. What is your kind of expectation of what Munkin is going to bring to Athens? Well, I'll tell you what, Todd Munkin could be the best coordinator, offensive coordinator in the SEC, and Georgia fans are still going to say he sucks. I mean, that's what they do. <laughs> they hate their coordinators. They were happy to see Jim Chaney leave. And what happened? I mean, it went in the toilet. James Coley, we're going to keep rolling with him. He's a tight end coach now at Texas A&M. I mean, so it doesn't matter what he does. It's so funny that these a lot of Georgia fans came at me. My God, this guy's got experience in the NFL. You're an idiot, number 10. But a lot of that does have to do with, um, you know, I'm not one of these people that says, like, NFL stupid. I hate the NFL. But the honest truth is, with my job at Saturday Night South running the news, deck, news desk, I don't have a ton of time to watch NFL football until the playoffs. So not seeing a ton of Todd Munkin's offense, but this is a little bit of a projection of kind of the things you're saying. New quarterback after having Jake Fromm three years in a row, they're going to have a totally rebuilt offensive line. They just lost arguably the best running back in the SEC, if not the nation. And what do they got at receiver? They got George Pickens and a, you know, a couple of hotshot recruits that have never really proven it. So you're telling me with no spring football, with an expedited season coming up, Georgia's just going to be a monster on offense. I'm not buying it. So that's kind of why I had him, Todd Munkin, at number 10 in my offensive play caller rankings. Certainly, he's one that could move way up the list or move back down the list, depending on what we see in the upcoming season. But, you know, just a combination of just not having a lot of knowledge of what he's doing and just the factors that are going to make it difficult for Georgia to have a ton of success on offense next season, uh, that's those combinations why I put Munkin at number 10. And, and just to take a step back from where we're at and just rankings talk, it, it sounds like just from the general discussion and looking where you've got four to number one in these coordinator rankings with Mullen at number two overall and Grantham at number three overall, that you're, you're in the camp of Ford is going to win the East this year. Yeah, I think they're going to win the East. I think they're going to win the entire SEC. Oh. Now, I'm sure that's a little bit of bold, but for me, I don't know. I just think that uh, given all the uncertainty, I mean, obviously this is all just guesswork anyway, but mm -hmm. going into this year, I mean, I think we can basically throw out almost all projections because we don't know what the season's going to look like. I mean, we're all hoping and praying that it starts on time and it's as normal, and I hope it is, but I don't know if we're going to get that. You know, I don't know if there's going to be fans in the stands. I don't, there's just so many uncertain things. So for me, the, the key here with making Florida – uh, as, as my prediction to win the East, win the SEC, a lot of that has to do with the continuity of Dan Mullen, obviously, Todd Grantham coming back. They got Kyle Trask coming back. They got an offensive line returning. Uh, so I just love the continuity there in Gainesville, and I think that's going to be the edge there given all the uncertainty on Georgia's offensive side of the ball. They also lost their special teams coordinator. I do think Georgia will probably have the best defense, maybe even in the nation. So it's not like Florida's going to run away with it, but – I just think those factors are going to be critical in a season with so many uncertainties, bringing everyone back, not going to be, you know, relying on a ton of 
on unproven players there in Gainesville, I don't think, coming into 2020. So I think that's going to be a real edge for Florida next year. You speak of Florida being your pick. Uh, the obvious pick almost every year is Alabama. And then when you look where you had their coordinators posted, overall it's down at the bottom. They finished 12th and your overall kind of uh, aggregate, how you added it up. So are you just not uh, sold on – Pete Golding, uh, Sark, did uh, the Alabama faithful give you a bunch of crap for that? And do you really believe, like, is that, that an issue for them right now? Do you think it's the coordinators or the assistants on the coach maybe holding them back a little bit? Yeah, I can't tell you how many people – I even had someone uh, working the Arkansas beat. They, they were like, hey, did you uh, make an error there with uh, number two and number 12? Did you flip those? Because I got Arkansas number two, Alabama number 12. But, right. no, that's where I've got it because – you know, Steve Sarkeesian is one that is very hard for me to grade because he had so much talent. I mean, I've seen guys like Lane Kiffin even joke, you know, my son could call that offense. So, I mean, that that's obviously an overstatement. But with all the talent he had to work with, I mean, I think it's unbelievable. I mean, how many people think Tua is the best quarterback in Alabama history, yet what did he win, one SEC title? And, I mean, he's got receivers, NFL receivers all around him, NFL linemen. And Najee Harris finally emerged next year, last year, excuse me. So I know Tua got hurt. So, you know, there's an asterisk there. But I don't know. Sarkeesian, I think he cost Alabama the national championship when they fired Lane Kiffin leading up to the title game there against Clemson. Uh, I thought the Atlanta Falcons took a significant step back when he became the coach. I thought USC got better when he left. I thought Washington got better when he left. So, you know, it's not like I think Sarkeesian's terrible, but because they have been producing – you know, really good numbers, but I don't know. He's just a difficult one for me to grade at this point. I think next year I'll get a really good sense of how good of a play caller Sarkeesian is with particularly if they have to start Mac Jones, because I think he's a limited quarterback, but if they have a ton of success. I'm going to give Sarkeesian credit. So you got to give credit where credit's due. And then Pete Golding. Yeah. I mean, I don't know a combination. It's funny how many Alabama fans want to just get rid of this guy and kick him out the door when, I don't know. It's Saban's defense, isn't it? And I don't know. I, that this, That's a big part of why I think Saban's kind of uh, one foot out the door already. I think his better days are behind him. I don't think Alabama is ever going to win the SEC again under Nick Saban. I think uh, – I don't think he's ever adequately replaced Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, hell, the last guy he tried to replace him with got essentially fired midseason. So – and now we got Golding who – you know, the LSU game, they got tore up. Auburn game, I thought they got out coached, and I don't know. I thought even the Tennessee game they got out coached, but the talent level is so significant. Whenever Alabama takes the field, I mean, ninety-eight percent of the time they've got vastly superior talent, so they're going to win, like they have been. But I think uh, we're starting to see the end of that dynasty, and I think this is a uh, this kind of shows just where my line of thinking of where Nick Saban is and is is in his career, and why they're bringing in guys like Charlie Strong because I don't think he's made wise decisions here with his coordinators. That's a curveball to us because we have been driving the Bryce Young train this offseason. Oh, well, you've been driving the Bryce Young train. <laughs> Roush is jumping on too. But I think, I think you're getting to a point that a lot of people are making is that that staff has really taken a huge step back in the last couple seasons. Now, now, we'll, I mean, now we'll see. Now that Sarkeesian and Pete Golding have been there for a little bit, right. this season they were – I mean, on both sides of the ball – they, they're returning a lot. Like, if you're just looking on paper, they've got probably one of the best rosters out there. Defense had a bunch of injuries. They get 
get people back. Offense has Jalen Waddle, Najee Harris, which should be the best offensive line in college football, and then a potential superstar as a true freshman quarterback in Bryce Young. So, like, you, you see it on paper, but it's the mm-hmm. coaching holding them back. And that's kind of what I think you're buying into, Mike, that Saban is kind of realizing that he just don't have the dudes that he used to have coaching-wise. And this could be kind of the, be the beginning of the end. And then when you look at the recruiting class right now, it's setting up to probably be a top five, top ten class, but they're probably not going to be number one or number two. So there are, there are some signs there that I think definitely uh, support uh, your opinion. And, and to, to add to it, look at uh, the rotating door of uh, coordinators and coaches. And you know, we kind of always joke that it was almost like the, the land of, of misfit coaches. Um, Butch Jones showing up in pictures randomly kind of lends itself to that. But there is a sense of how long can you do this rehab program of assistant coaches before, well, you're bringing in coaches who got fired because they sucked at their job. And, and I, I'm with you, Mike. I don't know how much credit you can give Sarkeesian for having a good offense with Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, and uh, and now I can't even remember his name. The Raiders pick, Henry uh, oh. Ruggs. Yes, yeah. Like it's like, oh, so you had a good offense with those guys and two of playing quarterback. Well, you know what? Like, I'm sure that was difficult to to pull off. So I I just I just like it though. SEC, Mike, we get you on here, and Nick Saban is done. Let's just get him out of here. <laughs> Yeah, I've got Alabama. I think they're going to lose at least two games. Not stunned if they lose three next year. I think um, – and I think that, you know, I'm going to be vindicated early in the season because I think Georgia's going to whip them. I think Georgia's a significantly better team in my opinion. And I think uh, – I've always thought that uh, Mac Jones, you know, he'll go into the year as the starting quarterback now that they've lost the spring. I'm uh, even more confident that's going to happen. But I think he his job's going to be gone by that Georgia game because I think they're going to shut him down. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, love it. I mean, I, they're I, not beating Georgia with Mac Jones at quarterback. I think I that's pretty it. apparent. You, you, you're seem bullish on, on the East. Um, I, yeah, I haven't really got your thoughts on Tennessee because, well, Rocky Top can can eat it. But <laughs> I, I'm curious in the West, though, SEC, Mike, if, if Alabama's down, I'm kind of – I've subscribed to the belief that Auburn – is just alternates year by year, whether they're going to be good or bad. And after losing a lot off that defensive line, I think they're going to be down uh, this year and that, that, that Kentucky can kind of go steal a game down there on the Plains. So how does the SEC West shake out if, if LSU is rebuilding and if, if Alabama is not the Alabama of old? Well, Auburn's hired Chad Morris kind of hinted at that. So they're automatically downgraded there at, at that position, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, Chad Morris, I mean, or excuse me, uh, Gus Malzahn, it's, it seems like his offense for, you know, he always got so much credit for being a quarterback developer, and we just not really have seen that in years past, and I think it had more to do with uh, – his, up, his ups and downs had more to do with the offensive line, it seemed like. Whenever they had a solid offensive line, I mean, it, it, it's usually not as simple as that, but last year they had a veteran offensive line. They weren't really that good. Now they're replacing basically everybody on that unit, so – I don't know. That's it's troubling because I do think Bo Nix he flashed enough potential. I'm not one of these Bo Nix haters. I think uh, he's a really good player and he, uh, he will develop into one. I guess I should say. I'm not really sure he's going to be like all SEC during his sophomore season. But if he is, Auburn stands a chance because I like the weapons around him. But and then you flip it to the other side. I mean, I got Kevin Steele's my number one defensive coordinator in the nation. I think, or in the SEC, I think he's uh, one of the most underrated coordinators in the entire nation but 
I mean, he, they're losing basically everyone on that front line and everyone in the back. I mean, they're bringing back some good linebackers, but uh, they sometimes they only put two on the field. So, I mean, that's not the, necessarily the unit you want everyone returning if you're Auburn. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a struggle there. I mean, I don't, I don't think the defense is going to fall apart, but if you've got an inconsistent offense and somewhat inconsistent defense, I think there's a chance Auburn, this is going to be one of those down years and, Hey, that's a perfect time for Kentucky to catch them because I think mm-hmm. uh, going down there, I think I've seen, I can't recall who who had this point spread, but it was like 17 and a half Auburn favored to beat Kentucky. And uh, I mean, I'm pleading with people to, to take that because I think Kentucky wins that game outright. And if you're going to give me three scores, my goodness, I mean, I'm, I'm ready to put the mortgage on that one. <laughs> All right. So then that gets down, gets over to College Station, A&M. Are you buying – that year three is the big year for Jimbo down there. Cause you look at the schedule, mm-hmm. something we've talked about on here, it really sets up well for them um, to really do something big this season. Yeah. I'm a big believer in what they got going on there. And it's, it's kind of the same thing with Florida. I mean, I can't make that case for the Gators. If I'm not going to say the same thing with Texas A&M, it's not that I think Kellen Mond is like some world beater because, you know, I don't like to, talk down to these players because they're just you know college players but I think he kind of is who he is at this point we've seen enough of him I don't think he's going to be this Heisman contender any talk like that's kind of ridiculous but I really love the defensive coordinator Mike Elko well at least Jimbo Fisher's got the pedigree I've not really seen it from him since he's come to the SEC to say he's one of the best coaches in the SEC but in fairness to him he's been building up that roster they've been you know recruiting on a tear and you know there has been progress but we're going into year three, the $75 million man, mm-hmm. and I'm still searching for that signature win. I mean, the only one that kind of you can point to was that seven-overtime thriller against LSU, which LSU fans will tell you they stole that game, you know, two or three times. So if Kellen Mond, as long as he doesn't self-destruct, I, I'm a big believer in Texas A&M, what they're going to do, like you said, because of that schedule, because of who they got returning, and the continuity, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, quarterback, and a lot of the linemen there, particularly on offense, um, I've seen some – I don't know if you guys are familiar with SEC StatCat, but um, he is a K- Kentucky graduate that uh, takes a super deep dive on all these stats in the SEC. And his numbers show that uh, when Kellen Mond has time, he's actually one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC. And when he doesn't, he's one of the worst. So you got – you know, you're no longer starting a true freshman next year on that offensive line. you got a lot of those guys returning – so Kellen Mond could have a nice rebound year. Again, not saying he's going to be all SEC or Heisman or anything like that. I don't think they need him to be. I just think they, they need him to be far more consistent against the elite teams in the SEC. And there's a really good chance that Texas A&M, based on that schedule, is going to be 10-0 and to start the season. They're, the final two games they got uh, LSU and Alabama, that's going to be t- difficult. But if they split those, I think they're going to win the West. Man, Uh we could keep you here all day, SEC Mike, but I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I, I'm going to go ahead and pencil in a Florida A&M SEC championship game in Atlanta, uh, but only uh, that that is unless Kentucky upsets the cat uh, the Gators in week two <laughs> in the swamp. So I, I'll end with this and just kind of where do you think? How do you foresee this season? Uh, shaping up for the Cats and, and kind of what needs to happen for, for them to uh, – what, what does their team need to do in, in your mind to make that jump and, and be at the top of the SECs once the season's over? 
Well, I think the obvious thing when you look at Kentucky is just, uh, you know, how Terry Wilson's going to play. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys have been talking about that all off season. So I'll go in a different direction and just say, you know, how well did those receivers develop last year? Because while I'm, I'm very eager to give Eddie Grant all this credit for everything he's done, uh, I wonder how well they got developed when they're just out there pass blocking, you know, and there's just basically mm -hmm. no passing game whatsoever. So we know Ali's a good target. But again, if you just got, you know, a, a one guy to throw the ball to, I mean, Kentucky, I think is going to struggle. So, uh, and you, you noted it there at the, at the top of the show there, I'm not terribly high on Terry Wilson and it's nothing against him personally, but just watching him play. And then he's had two significant injuries in his two years at Kentucky. I've been watching him. So you got to be a little bit concerned about his health status as well. So can he stay healthy? How does that passing game develop? Because, uh, and how does the, the secondary look? I mean, I know there's potential there. Um, and they got the, the transfer, Joseph, from LSU, who looks like, you know, he's going to be a day one starter. But uh, there's, I've been covering SEC long enough to, to hear about these guys that, you know, he's going to be a monster as a day one starter. And then you put him in the lineup and it's completely different. Not saying that's going to be the case. I certainly don't think so. But, you know, like I said, this is going to be a season unlike any we've ever seen. So I got a lot of confidence that the defense is going to be pretty solid at Kentucky. But how are they going to be able to pass the ball if they can? Maybe you are talking about upsetting Florida mm -hmm. and Tennessee and Georgia. I, you know, I, it's probably unrealistic to say all those, but I already said they're going to beat Auburn. So uh, I think Kentucky's looking at a really nice season, and I don't think 10 wins is out of the, out of the realm of possibility at all for what uh, Mark Stoops has done and uh, there in Lexington. I think the, the roster is – this is probably going to be his best roster he's ever had too. No, and see, like, you know, I like SEC Mike is because he is bringing up the receivers development. And I'm telling you, that was something that we were talking about beat reporters while waiting for the kind of interviews to happen. That's the kind of like chit chat we would have halfway through the season last year. So that's how I know you're on top of your P's and Q's, folks. And that's why you can listen to him at that SEC podcast. It's on iTunes, everywhere you get your podcast. You can follow him at Michael W. Bratton, the news desk editor at Saturday and South SEC Mike we appreciate you coming on 11 personnel with us today absolutely thanks for having me guys and I do apologize anytime uh, I retweet one of you I notice uh the entire vol Twitter attacks you that, that's not my <laughs> I'm not trying to do that but for whatever reason anytime I, I talk about Kentucky on Twitter um I just bring down vol Twitter on you guys so I do apologize for that hey, oh we love we it. have thick skin we can handle it Mike <laughs> bring it on okay good good <laughs> thanks sec mike well look at I, I i don't know about you but i thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with sec mike the takes for sizzling man it's a great name to to like really brand yourself mm -hmm. like leonard's losers great brand and i know a lot of people don't know that what i'm, what I'm talking about we got a lot of young folks like Leonard's losers. Leonard's losers was a staple on Saturday mornings driving to Commonwealth Stadium. And he's gonna be a loser. <laughs> <laughs> he he only picked losers. It was great. Um, but uh, I, I think to SEC Mike's point, I, I I like the way that he's not just being like big fat media member who's voting based on no. brand name down in Hoover. He's like hey, I follow the news, and here's kind of where things are going, and here's how the schedule's setting up. And we didn't get into it, but I, 
in his uh, rankings for coordinators, he had Mike Leach at number one in their DC at 14. And I really wanted to see some sort of scenario play out where like all hell breaks loose in the West and somehow Mike Leach randomly puts together uh, a year and wins the West in his first year at Mississippi State. A lot of hell would have to break loose for that to happen. Well, I mean, if you've got a scenario where it's like A&M at the top, like I, I don't trust Kellen Mond. If KJ Costello is above average, if he's a seven and a half out of ten, quarterback play isn't exactly uh, – there aren't a ton of them out there this year in college football. And then when you look at my kind of breakdown of what he thinks is going to happen in the league, that's part of the reason I think for it is just – Quarterback is hitting the reset button this year. I think that's pretty fair to say across across the conference. Well, and so I, that's I, why with Kentucky, you think it'd be a time to strike because you do have a senior who's multi year starter while the other while everybody else is hitting reset. It really bums me out that Terry got injured last year for yeah, a variety yeah. of reasons. But like, mm-hmm. dude, he would be dark horse Heisman candidate kind of stuff in the preseason if he had the year that we expected last year. Yeah, Let's if he say, just takes well, if he just takes a step forward from his first year, then you kind of have the proof of concept, like he's gotten better. Now he can take mm-hmm. another step. And then people I think would be really talking themselves well, into him. But I mean, kind of take Kellen Mond, what we were saying about him a year ago, where you're like, you know what? He yeah. could end up being the next best guy behind Tua and uh, uh, from or whoever else we had. Yeah, it was two and from, and then Kellen Mond. That's what we were talking about. Yeah, and year. and that would be what we would be saying about Terry Wilson if he had that kind of year. Whereas now you're kind of like, well, I think we know what Kellen Mond is. Will Terry be the guy to exceed expectations, or will he be more of the same and kind of act as a game manager? And I I wrote about it the other day, and I tried to just be like, hey, all of this bulletin board material stuff. It's kind of it's pretty fair. Um. Will Terry Wilson be a good quarterback is a question that people have to ask. He has won, but he also – like the Florida game. He was great in that Florida game. A month later, he was terrible against Vandy. He completed three passes and you know, weather, whatever. Like, I, I, I did like that. Did you read the the, the lengthy – speaking of Saturday Night South, the, the long piece they had on Terry Wilson? I have not yet. They, they went back, and we talked about his knee injury – after the fact and they actually went back and kind of looked at his stats and how they were affected even though we didn't know about it at the time but like you know he right. had like when a, he hurt his leg against mississippi state yes yeah they, they went and did the numbers and it was like 50 more rushing yards a game that was mm-hmm. where it was most significant and when you're taking that out of his game that's that's tough sledding so i i that that was an excellent part of the article also thought it was the first time i'd heard him ever even really talk about oregon besides saying he kind of just fell for the uniforms he was like yeah, I got there and was like, oh, I can beat out this three-star guy. Turns out it's Justin Herbert. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, kind of kind of knew the writing was on the wall there. Um, but if you haven't checked out that that profile, that's a it's a fun read. It's it's lengthy and, and some of it's stuff you've already got covered, but uh I, I I recommend it. You talk just look at the last three years. Benny Snell, that was the star of the offense. Let's build it around him. Lynn Bolden, that's the star of the offense. Let's build it around him. Like this year, there's not, it's not there. Like it's, it's Terry. Terry. It looks like, yeah, it's Terry. Like yeah. he has to be the playmaker. Mm-hmm. Kentucky has some good backs that they feel good about, but I don't think them are, you know, star caliber yet. So it's got to be Terry. I mean, he's got to be the guy this year. And Kentucky seasons, for a, in a lot of ways, are going to kind of go how number three goes. If he has a big season, Kentucky's going to have a big season. 
Oh, if man. he doesn't have a very good season, Kentucky's probably, you know, seven and five going to the Liberty Bowl kind of thing. And you know what the you get news? to the point where you're just managing games and trying to get wins. But you know what the good news is, though, like it? Mm-hmm. Two less days we have to wait for football. That's true, man. It's going to be a fun Thursday. Thursday night under the lights. Kentucky's going to kick the crap out of him. If nothing else, we know Terry Wilson's revenge game. He's going to put up some some numbers. That is the Terry Wilson revenge game. And this, the hidden part about all of that, now I don't know with COVID if it'll be the same, but what usually happens is that game is Feinbaum goes to the stadium, has his show there, and then they have like an SEC network, kind of their countdown show, like the morning – they're there, and that, mm-hmm. that all takes place at the stadium. So it could be kind of like an infomercial for Kentucky football there for a couple hours on the SEC network. And, and I'm I'm all for that. Just six hours of just gassing up Kentucky and talking about what they could be this year. And, you know, you're going to get fine ball. Well, that's if Terry Wilson, you know, and they're going to be kind of rehashing the conversation we just had. Mm-hmm. But uh, either way, it's going to be an exciting day in the bluegrass. And I wish I had exactly how many days it was right in front of my face now. But, you know, it's coming. It's it's like in the 80s, I think, maybe. Maybe eight, right around 80. But, Nick, are we going to start a full-on movement college game day to the Kentucky Derby? Yes. But campaign, let's do it. I sent out a tweet last week. The, the schedule is not great. Like, it's very easy for them that- to talk themselves into it. The only we, we just don't know because of the pandemic what yeah what stuff's gonna be well because the bear I mean if anybody's on a campaign for it it's the bear so yeah. we need to get y'all him. he's gonna be pushing for it hard we got if we get him on board we got to get Matt to pull his ESPN strings and get the bear to see we did hey, we're, we're we're that's progress it, it makes sense like it makes sense for them to do that there and it also makes sense when the Masters is in November for them to do it in Augusta too. Oh, party in the infield with Kirk Herbstreet. Let's make it happen. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. This was a fun episode of 11 Personnel. We appreciate y'all listening. Uh, go check out SEC Mike. He's the man. We appreciate him coming on. And we appreciate you listening. And just do us a favor and just remember go Cats. Go Kroger. You can always count on us. <laughs>